Acts chapter 2, continue our series on uh, the, 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 we have the word of God. Acts chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about how the world can hear God's words. Sometimes um, trying to figure out a title, but this is the whole purpose of it. Is how, does the, how does the world hear the gospel that we've heard? And um, we're going to talk about translations. A lot of people think, what a boring subject. It actually is very, very exciting and intense. So as we go to Acts chapter 2, I want to remind you, we have learned about the inspiration of the Bible. We found out that the prophecy uh, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God were what? Anybody remember the word? Were moved, like I used a, a biro, a pen, and I moved it across the paper, and it wrote. Now, the pen didn't actually do anything but squirt ink, but I guided that pen, and it wrote what I wanted written. And so Moses, uh, Peter, John, Paul, they were the pen that God moved. Holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost, and that's how we got our Bible, okay? Uh, then, last week, we learned about, and, and I... Showed you all the process there. And then uh, last week, we talked about the preservation of those words, which we focused on Matthew 24. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. God has preserved his word, no matter how much it's been attacked. We're going to talk about that today. Um, they are still right there, and you've got them in English, which is just breathtaking. But let me ask you, and I, I showed you the whole process of copies and copies and copies, and yet God preserved it because it's his word. God makes his word more important than his name. Now, is it wrong to blaspheme his name? Yes or no? Yes. The name of God Almighty is something you don't just throw around and say flippantly and use as curse words and things like this. God will not hold somebody guiltless for being flippant with his name. And God says, you know what's more important than my name? My word. Psalm, uh, Psalm 138 verse 2 says that God has magnified his word above his own name. He says, I'm going to watch out and watch over and protect my word. When I make a promise and when I say something, I'll make sure that thing is fulfilled and that it stays around. So we talked about the process of preservation. But how many of you speak Hebrew or Greek? I mean, it was all written in Hebrew and Greek. Yeah, stop bragging on that, uh, Patrick. But uh, not very many people speak. As a matter of fact, less than one quarter of 1% of the world speak Hebrew and Greek. That's less than a quarter of a percent. So this morning, I want to teach you how we got our English Bible and why this church reads and believes and loves the King James Bible above all the other versions that are available today because it is just as true as if you picked up a letter from Moses that he just wrote, uh, a book of uh, Genesis or whatever that Moses just um, handwritten right there. It is just as true as the first copy. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 in verse 1. <clears throat> And uh, we're going to read these 11 verses, and then I'm going to go around, and then we'll come back to them. So stay with me, okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. These are all the, the disciples. There were about 120 of them at that day. And suddenly there came a, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
tongues, you see the, the Bible defines its own words. Tongues is utterance, is words. Tongues, tongues is language. Verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. They were surprised because that every man heard them speak in his own what? All right, so when we say tongue, we just don't mean the flapping piece of flesh that's in our mouth. We're talking about a language. It says, we're hearing them speak in our own language. Verse 7, and they were all amazed. And they marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which, which speak uh, from Cary? <laughs> that's basically what he's saying. He's saying, these guys are hillbillies. These are Galileans. They don't have any schools up there that teach language. Verse 8, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, he goes through 15 different nations, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, oh, by the way, before I go, I got to show you this. If you haven't gone next door, we've, we've got it about 99% done. Our Making of the Bible Museum is open, so you can sneak over there and look around right after the service. But at 11 o'clock, it'll turn into the Sunday school. But you need a, there's a, a set of, <clears throat> there's a, 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 a question sheet that'll guide you through. And you'll learn as you sort of look up answers about how we got the Bible all the way through to our King James Bible and to the Irish Bible. And then we have a table full of foreign Bibles there. Just letting you realize God didn't abandon this world. He's, he's got the Bible being everywhere. You better read it. So anyway, go back to my subject here. Um, uh, we just read about a bunch of people from um, 15 different nations hearing the gospel in their language. And that is what is needed because not everybody speaks Hebrew and Greek. You're going to have to, if you're from... Ireland, and if you speak Irish, you're going to need to hear it in your own language. If you're from Germany, if you're from Texas, you need to hear it in your language. So let's go and let's look at the Great Commission because uh, Matthew chapter 28 gives us a very big job to do. I've got some scriptures to look at this morning. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28. We will go back to Acts 2 in a little while. Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19 and verse 20. Jesus gave us a very big job to do. Verse 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach how many nations? That's a lot of countries. Right now there are, if I remember correctly, 198 countries in the world. 198. Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. I want them to obey everything I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go to Mark 16. Go to the next book. The end of Mark 16. <clears throat> Shorter version of the Great Commission. And you know what commission means, don't you? Commission means that's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. He, Jesus, said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel too? That's a lot of people. And you say, I mean, creature, well, go ahead and preach to your puppy dog. I don't care, but preach to everybody. When I first got called to preach, I preached to the squirrels. I didn't want to talk to people yet. 
So preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world. Um, uh, look at Acts 1.8. A couple more books to the right. Acts 1.8. We forget the, the size of the Great Commission. Acts 1.8. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, Acts 1.8. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both. You need to do it in Jerusalem, where you're at. And then go down to the next county and in, and in Judea. Go throughout your county, sorry. And then Samaria, the next county. And unto, here's the key, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's a lot of places to go to. I think it's impossible enough to just try to go. If you went from Israel and you went to the other side of the planet, that's 12,000 miles. If you went in the other direction, you went to the other side, that's 12,000 miles. That's just in one direction. And in all directions, there's a huge planet to, to, to try to cover. It's an incredible amount of effort. But remember, as they went, they're going to meet cultures and languages that don't speak like them. So all of a sudden, you've got all these obstacles. So built into all that is a promise. Back there in Matthew 28, it says, uh, in order to win the world, Jesus promised, I'll go with you. I'll be with you. So that tells me two things. That tells me that he's going to direct the footsteps of his people to go in some of the strangest places. I have read the life stories of some crazy missionaries who just up and left and go to some of the harshest, most crazy, dangerous places you could ever imagine to take the gospel there. And that's what Jesus says, go, go and find the edge of the world. And guess what, there is no edge. So you'll just keep going and going and going. Go into all the world. But as you go, he will not only oversee our direction, but he'll oversee our message and our ability to speak and teach the same gospel that saved you. It's called using translations. Um, because the truth is, as we've learned, Romans chapter 10 says, uh, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they going to call on him who they not believed? And how are they going to believe on him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So if I stood up here and I spoke Hebrew, which is not possible, you would get no faith at all. It would impress you. It would impress me <laughs> if I could speak Hebrew. But, that's not, but if I spoke in plain language that you can understand from the Bible, you get faith. So every culture and every language needs the Bible in their culture and in their language. And that's what we're going to talk about today because Jesus is with us even in the translation work. I want to show you, <clears throat> when we talk about the word translation, go to Colossians chapter 1, two scriptures here that help us understand what this thing is called translations. I've had people, you know, say, I don't want to argue about the Bible. I appreciate that. I don't want either. <laughs> They'll say, it's just a translation. It's just an old translation, you know. And uh, no, it's not. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. If you understand this word, you're going to understand something amazing. Colossians 1, <clears throat> verse 13 says this. Who, now I'm speaking not a question, but it's he hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has, what is the next word? Here's our word. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. 
Wow, there's that word translation. Let's look at another one. Um, he, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. <clears throat> By faith Enoch was, here's our word again, two times in the Bible where the word is used, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. They couldn't find him. Uh, because God had translated him. For before the translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So where did he go? He went to God. He got, he got transported like Star Trek uh, portrays. All, right? all of a sudden, he disappeared, and he was gone from here, and he was in another place. He was in the presence of God. I want you to understand the meaning of translations and wrapped in both of, both of those two things. So here's a phrase. You might want to guess what language it is. It's not Texan. It's Hebrew. All right. Well, how do you put that into another language? Well, the meaning of the word translation means to move a concept, to move it. A truth, a meaning of a word or sentence from one language into another language. And just like I have been moved out of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, God didn't do a poor job of it. He didn't sort of, by moving me into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light, when he moved me, he moved me lock, stock, and barrel. I'm all in. Does that make sense? He did a perfect job of moving me. As a matter of fact, when Enoch disappeared, his fingers weren't left behind. Okay? He didn't leave his hair behind. But he even left his clothes behind. I don't know. Got new robes of righteousness. But he was translated into the presence of God. He was perfectly moved. And God oversees the perfect moving of meaning from one language to another, where all of a sudden that becomes in the beginning God. Genesis chapter 1, 1 begins in Hebrew. And in English, it is the same thing as if he said, in the beginning God. Now, as we read there in Acts chapter 2, these, the early efforts of translation were just supernatural. It was a miracle that all of a sudden, as they spoke, go back to Acts chapter 2 now. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. And in verse 5, there were people on the day of Pentecost. They weren't looking for, God, for, for the gospel. They weren't looking for the disciples. They were all up in this upper room. They were crammed in there, about 120 of them. And uh, people were down on the streets walking and, and uh, going uh, uh, through Jerusalem and waiting for, there were certain ceremonies and celebrations going on. And they hear a guy at a window preaching in ancient German. And they hear another guy out of another window preaching in ancient Gothic. And somebody else in ancient French. Whatever the language, they started speaking in Arabian. And out of the windows were all these different languages being preached. And they were preaching the gospel. And people stopped and they started to gravitate to this one place where all these windows had people preaching in different languages. Look there in verse 5. Acts 2 and verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they heard ev because that every man heard them speak in his own language. These were these were. Um, uh, let me. You'll, you'll notice as we read there that out of every nation under heaven, they were hearing it in their own language, and we hear them speak the wonderful works of God again. In Ireland, back sixty years ago. The priest got up and he read what language? What language did he speak up behind the altar? 
spoke Latin. And you know what? The majority of people couldn't understand nine out of ten, those, nine out of ten words. It just went right over the head. They just thought, well, he's talking to God, I guess. And they just sit there, and then they go home. And it was not edifying. It never helped them. They never learned anything. They may have read from the Bible, but nobody learned the Bible. But here they said, we're hearing what God has done. And you notice down, look down in verse oh, 10. Is it verse 10? Look at what some of the places, Phrygia and Pamphylia, he's describing different areas. Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, verse 11, Cretes and Arabians. Um, uh, this is fantastic. All of these people, even people down in Saudi Arabia, we're going to hear the gospel because what had happened was these were the ones who get saved. 3,000 of them get saved. And then when they go back home, they take the, what they heard back to their own people in their language. And they started telling the same thing in those languages. It was the beginning of the work of translation, translating the Bible. Just boom, they went back and uh, Africa. Um, uh, the Middle East and Southern Asia and all the way up to Rome and into Europe all in 33 AD. At the very start, the gospel is getting everywhere. But it didn't stop there. Go to Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> because God has a way of motiv motivating us. Now, we like to be motivated by love, don't we? We love it when somebody says, oh, you're the best. <laughs> we go, I'm going to try harder. But God sometimes says, I got to move even farther than you would on your own. And so he sends in Saul of Tarsus, Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. And start there in verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, <laughs> entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad and went. Where'd they go? Now, they weren't hiding, were they? What were they doing? They were preaching the word. But as they went, they found, oh, you don't speak Hebrew. Oh, you don't speak Greek. Oh, well, I got to learn your language. And as they went, they learned languages and they kept preaching no matter where they went. And what is amazing is by 300 AD, I believe with all my heart, according to Colossians chapter 1, the entire world got the gospel message in their language. I believe with all my heart in Colossians chapter 1, you don't have to go there for time, but it says, uh, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you Christians at Colossae. Since we heard of your faith, Colossae was away from Jerusalem, but I want you to understand, it says, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which was laid up for you in heaven, where ye heard before, you heard about this hope, in the word of truth, the gospel, which is coming to you as it is into all the world. Paul is almost bragging, saying, you got the gospel just like everybody else is getting it all over the world. That was first century. What, what century are we, in today? are we in today? The 21st century. And just like God got the gospel everywhere, there's no problem with him doing it again today. As a matter of fact, I think it's even easier to get the gospel today into all the world. But that ought to be our burning desire to make sure everyone hears what God has done through Jesus Christ. So why translate? What's the big deal? Well, because we're commanded to go with the gospel into every culture, into every language, and make Christ known and understand. Wouldn't you agree? 
Wouldn't you agree that the Bible has the greatest news? I read how Peter called these words you hold in your hands, he called them the words of eternal life. Jesus called these words truth, the truth. King David called them pure words. James called them the perfect law of liberty. Ezra called them the end of all perfection. That's <laughs> what he called the Bible. Paul called these words the words of truth and soberness. And in the end, at the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus also called these words true and faithful. So this is the greatest news this world could ever hear. I'm so tired. As a matter of fact, when we're handing out leaflets down in Cork on Fridays and we're inviting people to, uh, to talk about the gospel and things, one of the best ways I get people to take a track is I say, you want some good news? <laughs> you want some good news? I go, yeah, because <laughs> it's just constant bad news. But the second reason, second point about this thing is we desire all people. If you're really saved, don't you desire that everyone can hear the very same words that changed your life? That's one of the marks of that you are saved. I know there are some Christians who are backslidden. They don't care about anybody. But boy, if, if you realize the gospel message, if you know what it did for you, you want everybody to hear it. Now, God does not expect everybody to learn Hebrew and Greek and Latin. He wants the Christian to learn the language of somebody you're going to witness to. He wants us to learn the culture of the people we're supposed to witness to so that we can speak into it, so that we can take the gospel into their world. And that takes time. The Bible has to be carefully translated for one main reason. I want you to take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians because this is a guiding scripture for why it's an important issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul, knowing that the Corinthian church was, as we say, all over the map, they were wacko. They had about 11 or 12, maybe 13, major problems in, in their church. They were, they were still a church. Paul loved them, uh, but he's trying to correct some problems, but he says the first thing that has to be fixed, look at 1 Corinthians 1.8, I'm oh, sorry, 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, I'm begging you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the two words. I want you all to start talking about the same things and not talking about, well, I want to talk about this and I want to talk about that and I like this point and I like that. No, I want you all to speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same what? You know, most Christians are guided by today their heart, their emotions. They're guided by whether, you know, the world is going this way or that way. And Paul says you're to be joined together in the same thinking and in the same decisions, the same judgment. Uh, do not trust your own goodness and your own hearts and your own feelings. That's not Christianity, that's humanism. Don't trust churches or religions don't even trust governments or politicians. I mean, you ought to know that. We ought to want to know what saith the scripture. Old Martin Luther stood up and when the, uh, the Pope and the priests and the bishops all were accusing him and saying, but the church fathers say this and oh, but uh, uh, Martin, you're going against the traditions. He said, all I want to know is what says the scripture? That's all he wanted to know. And that ought to be what we want to know is what does the Bible say? You know, um, uh, 
Whatever the Bible says, we should choose to believe, and that's very important. Listen to this. Christians in County Kerry should believe the same thing as Christians in Cork. Does that not make sense? And Christians in County in Cork should believe the same things as Christians in Paris, and Christians in London, and Ethiopia, and Kabul, and Tokyo, and New York, and Moscow. We should all speak what? The same thing. The only way for that to happen, make sure they all say and believe the same truth, is if we all have the same quality Bible in our hands. Because not all Bibles are Bibles. Just because it says Holy Bible like this book does, just because it says Holy Bible doesn't mean it is a Bible. Just because another one says, oh, you've been reading that King James, why don't you get you a good news Bible? <laughs> uh, just because something says Holy Bible doesn't mean it is either Holy or the Bible. Um, we've, we've, we've got to have the same quality of Bible. As a matter of fact, I mean, can you imagine if we tried to memorize the scripture and Nita's got one version and Josiah's got a different version and you've got another version and we're all trying to memorize a verse with all our different versions. It's uh, chaos. That's why I put up the verse up here and I say, let's say it together and we all learn the same words, not because it's my version or because it's the Baptist uh, Bible. Can you imagine? This Bible is not even Baptist, all right? This King James Bible. But I believe it. And I say that we all should memorize and live by the same words in our language. So, translation is no easy task. Uh, think about it. It was easy for the apostles to just sit up and, uh, no, go back here. I hope I got the right thing here. Uh, when the apostles stood up and they preached, do you think that they thought about speaking it in German or in French? Do you think that? No, no, it was easy. The translation was miraculous. But that was basically one time. Done. All other times that you're going to translate into another language is going to be very hard. Did you know some languages, I think this is, I learned a lot putting together our, over the last decade and a half, putting together our Bible history, things like this. But a lot of languages never had a written form until a missionary came and said, you know, these people, they're hearing the Bible. And if faith does come by hearing, they all, all I don't care if you're blind, uh, uh, folks, you don't have to read the Bible. You've got to hear it in order to believe it, at least there, okay? But preachers and missionaries going all over the world, they'd come to a, a people group that only spoke their language, and they would sit down and they would come up with uh, the, the, the written alphabet, and they would come up with grammar. Uh, Middle Irish, William Bedell and a guy named William O'Donnell sat down. The Irish did not have a written language. You know that, don't you? Not until 1602 and then up, up to 1648, two guys with a couple of teams helping them, they heard the language, they studied, they some of them were born Irish and things like this, and they took the language and they made it into what it is, what it, what it was. It's not the same anymore, but they made Irish a real language and they settled the language. That, and, and really, all the great nations in the world are great because somebody came and they settled their language and they anchored it to the Bible. The Bible never held anyone back. Religion has. 
But the Bible actually established the language because if you study languages, languages go crazy in all kinds of different directions. And the anchor of the Bible, nobody wants to learn weird words that don't always come back to Bible words. So the, the Irish language was settled in early 1600s by William Bedell, who translated the Irish Bible and William O'Donnell in the New Testament. A guy named Ufalus, uh, uh in Northern Europe, uh, he came to the Goths, who was early Saxony and English again. In 300 AD, he sat down and wrote an alphabet from the, uh, the phonics of the people there. Missionaries went to the American Indians, and the Indians never wrote their language. And I've got a Navajo Bible in there. The, they have like 36 different letters because they have so many different sounds that they put together into um, uh, words in, in Navajo. And they made the language. And so every Navajo reading today and writing today owes their language to an American missionary or some missionary who gave them the gospel 200 years ago. Uh, it just takes work is what I'm trying to say. And uh, as a matter of fact, over in... Um, uh, in Thailand, no, not Thailand, in Burma, in Myanmar, they have a special day where they honor a missionary named Adam Judson. It's called Judson Day because he settled the language and put it into the Bible. As a matter of fact, his Bible, translated 200 years ago, is still the de facto Bible in Myanmar, what was called Burma back then. The amount of effort that went into it, moving concepts and meanings from one language to another is hard how would you listen to somebody how would you describe repentance i'll never forget i was trying to witness to this german who used to live here and he said i wish i could learn english better i said come to my house and i gave him a king james bible and also bought me a german bible and i said all right you are going to learn english and i'm going to learn german and we got to the word we were reading along and i would read uh, he would show me how to read a few verses, and I would take him through the gospel. And we got to the word repentance. And it's called, it's buse, B-U-S-E, B-U-Z-E, S-E. And uh, I said, what does that mean? I know what the word repentance means, but what does it mean? He says, well, it's an old word. It means to lose your shirt. <laughs> I said, yes. That is a wonderful meaning, isn't it? To lose your shirt, which means in an argument, you're, you come out the loser, and you just, you don't come away winning. When you, when you repent, you lose your shirt. And I thought, that is so cool. And it was kind of cute because for weeks we were going through this thing, and after about four or five weeks, he's going through, as I'm going through the gospel, he goes, I see what you're doing. Because <laughs> I was trying to win him to Christ. But it was through words, and getting those words across are so important, and they're not easy. Um... There, there are so many things. As you go next door and you look at, there is so much history. Putting together ancient manuscripts, uh, it's an intense science, and there is a science to it. Uh, finding these pieces of, of gospels and, and Pauline epistles and Book of Revelation and, and um, uh, Genesis and stuff like this, and putting these things, you say, how do you do it? It's a science, and it's brilliant that you can reconstruct all of the Bible. It's all there, and it's right there in your hands. Now, at, to say all that, I need you to understand, we have an enemy. Go to 2 Corinthians. Ah, oh, that's the wrong verse, I think. Oh, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I think I got it right. Yes, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 
And I want to rapidly go through this list, but I want to give you a taste for not only is it hard mentally and time-wise, but it's hard spiritually because you have an enemy who hates the fact you want to win a soul in another culture. You know, the, you know what? Satan would love for you just to keep your faith to yourself. Isn't that what everybody says? Keep it to yourself. They would love for us to just have church in our four walls. They would love for you to just believe whatever you want to believe. Just don't give it to somebody else. So the moment you decide to hand out a gospel tract, you know something's going to go wrong. Something's going to come, the phone's going to ring, or I don't know what. But take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. For we, talking about we Christians, and especially we apostles, are not as many which, what do they do? Which corrupt the word of God. But of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. We just speak in the place of Christ. So we're not like so many who corrupt the word of God. Satan hates God's word. Satan hates God's people. And not only that, but powerful people in the world hate this book as well. So remember Genesis chapter 3? I wish I could take you. We don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, it says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And he came to Eve. And what did he say to Eve? Did God really say, don't eat of the tree? Yeah, hath God said that? And she comes back, she said, oh, yes, he said that. And then she added, she says, we're not even allowed to touch the thing, which was stupid. That's not true. They were, they were taking care of the garden. They had to touch everything. But she says, oh, I don't think we're even allowed to touch. And then what did Satan say in the form of the serpent? What did he say at the end? He says, ye shall not surely die. She says, if we touch it, we'll die. And he says, you will not die. So look at what's going on there. He asked, what did God say? Did he really say it? And she starts struggling with that thing, and he says, that's not what he's saying. Wow. Attacks, questions, he changes, and he lies about the word of God. Um, there, are, uh, uh, there are examples, even in the Bible, where people who heard the word of God, they destroyed it right in the spot. In Jeremiah chapter 36, I don't have time, I wish. I've got, um, uh, got a lot more to say. But um, uh, the king heard Jeremiah uh, had written a, 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 a portion of the book of Jeremiah, and it was read to him. And as he was listening to Jeremiah's prophecy about the fall of Jerusalem, he grabbed the scroll, and he pulled out a knife, and he cut it into shreds, and he threw it into the fire. They hate the word of God. They hate it. Uh, I've seen it on college campuses. They burn Bibles. I've watched it throughout history. The Catholic Church has burned Bibles. Uh, people don't like the Bible. You know, the moment you try to talk to somebody and you open up the Bible, they go, ah! <laughs> it's a strange thing. Uh, Satan sows tares. Go to Matthew chapter 23. I said 23. It's Matthew 13. Thank you. Matthew 13. Do you know, I have to say this. I've got a copy of uh, the Irish Bible. And um, um, this thing was published by uh, uh, the, the Foreign Bible Society in, in England and um, uh, paid for by uh, Queen Elizabeth I, by the way. And as they, well over a thousand copies of them were delivered to be given to Catholic priests so they could at least read the Bible in their own language and so the people could get it. 
um, uh, during that time, every time they'd ship over a packet of, of these Bibles, now this Bible has been re-covered, um, um, but uh, I've got one that's got the original cover and there's fallen apart. But these things are 400 and some odd years old. And when it, when it came into Ireland, the, the, the priests were actually given a copy and they were very appreciative. And then the bishop would come along and grab it and burn them. And out of the well over a thousand of them that were given all over Ireland, there are only 300 left. And most of them are all over the world. Uh, I've purchased three of them, okay, because I think they're fairly important. And I just don't want them sitting in somebody else's library. I want people to be able to touch and feel and have a, a look at history of, of when, uh, at a period of time when Ireland could have had the Bible and the bishops burned them. Irish bishops burned these Bibles. So don't be so light about, where's the Bible? Where's the Bible? Well, somebody doesn't want you to have it. Uh, Matthew 13, 24. Even if you do get a Bible, you check and find out, has it been messed with? Look at Matthew 23. I'm sorry, Matthew 13, 24. Another parable put he, Jesus, forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. What is he? He's a farmer. And he's put good seed in his field, verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy came. And what did he do in that field? That same field that had the good seed, what did he do? He sowed tares among the wheat, and he went his way. Now, this is what the devil does, is... God spoke his word and the devil comes in and tries to twist it and, and soil it and throw in extra things. Um, in, in this day and age, we have, we have a, 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 uh, uh, an attitude, when I say we, I'm talking about Christianity, uh, that allows for humanism and human reasoning to come into the Bible. And they come and they say, no, that can't be true, so they'll change the words. And they put tares, put things that have no fruit into the Bible. And they change the Bible. I'll give you some examples here. It ends up corrupting what is pure by poisoning it. Here's an example. Psalm 10, verse 4 and 5. See if you can see a big deal here. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always, what's the word? Grievous. All right, now watch it over in the NIV. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. That ought to freak you out. Either it's grievous, his ways are always grievous, or they're always wonderful. They're opposites. They have to go somewhere. Um, they're not offended. Anyway, um, somebody went and changed a word. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'll show you another one. Uh, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I, I love this verse, Galatians 2.20, nevertheless I live. In the NIV, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Wait a minute, okay, then you're dead. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. I am crucified, yet I'm still alive, Paul says. The NIV says, I'm crucified, I was crucified, and I no longer live. Doesn't make any sense at all. So somebody's sowing tares among the wheat. Here's another one. They add and they remove words. Did you know there are 6,000 words missing and changed between the KJV and the New Bibles? Hell is missing in almost all New Bibles. It's now been made Hades. Lord is missing 66 times. Repent is missing 44 times. 
In the New Bible's damnation, the word damnation is gone. And references to Christ's blood being shed for us are gone 23 times. Uh, somebody's messing with the Bible. Most versions, new versions, teach all sorts of wrong doctrines. They never really say you're saved until you die, and you're always being saved. Give you an example here in a moment. I think I, I um, go to 1 Corinthians 1.18. First Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish. It's only foolishness. But unto us which are. Are you there? First Corinthians 1.18. But unto us which are saved. You ought to circle those two words. It is the power of of God. Now I'm going to read out of the NIV. See if I get my copy of it here. I've got too many here. This is actually not even my entire collection. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 18. We had all we. New International. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I got to ask you. Are you being saved or are you saved? See, when, when they start, when the devil starts sowing tares in the Bible, it creates all kinds of wrong doctrines. How about this one? Right, a lot of people are stuck in this idea that baptism is the most important thing you could have. Well, I wonder where they get that from. Let's find a place here. We'll look in, why don't you go to Acts chapter 8. I know this is all heady stuff. I know that, but you've got to be aware of your enemy and what he's doing. Acts chapter 8 and verse 36. This is Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. And as he went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. All right, that's what your King James Bible says. Look over at the NIV, verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? You see verse 36? Now verse 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. In the NIV, there's no break. It just goes 36, and then 38, 39, 40. They deleted verse 37. What's missing in verse 37 is you better have faith that Jesus is who he said he was and that he died for you and buried and rose again for your sins. Then you can get baptized. But in the New Bibles, I'm ready to get baptized. Good, let's go down and get baptized. Do you see how slick that is? Now you know why the guy back in 1500s sat down and spent months numbering all of the verses because there were people who were deleting entire verses of Scripture. And he says, I want to know that when I pick up a Bible, it's got all of them. That's why they did it. There were so many corrupting and changing and sowing tares in the wheat of the Bible. Uh... This is really important, okay? Um, look at this. In Mark chapter 9, verse 29, now there's about 
nearly 10 scriptures where it's just like this. And he, Jesus, said unto them, this kind of demon, this kind of problem can come forth by nothing but by prayer and... Okay, but in the NIV, Jesus only says, he replied, this kind can come out only by Lord's fasting. You see, if you didn't know, and if you're reading an NIV and you come to that verse, you just kept reading on, you wouldn't know what's missing. You would know the sign's not there. Can you imagine driving on a road? And normally there are signs there that say 50 kilometers an hour, um, detour ahead one kilometer, da 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 da, and those signs are missing. You're going to drive along thinking everything's happy and no problem. You're going 80 and the guard will catch you <laughs> because you're coming into a construction zone. When, when, the, when the verses are changed, you change doctrine. Uh, all other English versions get rid of important words and, and uh, even entire verses. I wish I could go through all this. Um, let's see. Here's one, Mark 10, 21. Then Jesus beholded him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. That's his, that's his clear words. Of, Watch you, when you come, it's going to be costly. But take up your cross and follow me. NIV, oh, we don't want the cross. We just want to follow Jesus. Jesus looked on at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. What's missing? The cross. Somebody was slick enough to just delete a few words and it changes the whole tone of Christianity. I don't have to suffer. I don't have to go through anything. I'm just following Jesus. Luke 9. Ooh, this is big. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. Remember that. In verse 56, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives. We're not going to burn them out now. But I came to save them. And they went to another village. Watch this. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. He doesn't say, you've got a different spirit about you. There is something influencing you and causing you to, to think wrong. But they deleted that. And then, then he and his disciples went to another village. He, wait, the whole reason why the Jesus came to seek and to save is deleted. Isn't that funny? Now, how did this happen? There are four reasons how it happened, okay? Um, number one, there are two starting points. Antioch of Syria and Alexander Egypt. On the map, they're about uh, 600 miles apart. Antioch, 700 miles up there towards Turkey and, and stuff like this. The Christians, the, the Bible believers were all called Christians in Antioch first in, first, in, in Acts chapter 11. And Alexandria was a, boy, it was a center of learning and education and very uppity ups and really intelligent people and all of science was down in Alexandria. But Bible preaching and mission work, the first missionaries came out of Antioch. And from those two centers went two groups of Greek manuscripts. Nine of them came out of here, and 5,220 came out of there. there. And I'll give you one guess which ones your King James Bible were translated from. The nine, or from the 5,220, came from 
Antioch, they're, they're called the Byzantine line, the majority text, the received text, are all the same. And, and that makes a big difference because when, when you think that, well, this Bible and this Bible, they're the same, they just say things a little differently. That's not true. You know sometimes I'll take, and we're reading the King James English and 1611 English, and I might just adjust it and say what he's saying is this. But I never say what I say is Scripture. I'm just trying to make sure you understand what the Bible is saying, okay? But they come along and they update the words, don't they? You know, it sounds nicer. It sounds easier to digest. But if you only knew that where they got their words from Greek was different than from where you got your words in the King James Bible. I got it from a different well. This water's poisoned. That water's pure. They're not just, those aren't just easier to read. They're from a whole different set of documents. Second reason, this happens because Christians are suckers for new, nice, and feel-good things. Um, like, who wouldn't want to read a Bible that's called good news? Doesn't that sound so positive? Uh, who wouldn't want to read a Bible that's called the New International Version? Or the New King James? Or the New American Standard? Or You see, we like new things. People love, oh, it's new? I want that now. I mean, Apple is making an absolute fortune every year making a new iPhone. When the phone five years ago is still working, fine, but they love and people queue up to buy something new. Uh, so there's a pile a mile high of new Bibles every decade. As a matter of fact, there's 230 new Bibles in English since 1881. 230. And they keep coming up with new ones. Most modern Christians believe Jesus didn't preserve his words. They don't believe that Jesus, when he said, I'll, uh, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my words won't. They go, nah, I, I don't believe that. Well, then you're calling Jesus an impotent liar. He can't keep his promise, and he didn't. I believe he did, because I believe he And, you know, copyright laws require that any product or book must be at least 10% different than anything else for it to be copyrightable. So every time you pick up a new Bible and they say, well, it's the same. No, it's not. It has to be at least 10% different than another one so they can put a copyright on it and sell it. See, publishers make new Bibles to make money, and they make lots of it. You can make lots of money if you write your own Bible. Final points. I want to say this. People do get saved by believing other versions of the Bible. Uh, listen to Jehovah's Witness translation. I would never read it. I would never encourage you to ever spend time in it. But listen to it. If you ever did find your way to John chapter 3 and verse uh, 3, this is what it says. In response, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Most truly, I say to you, unless anyone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's pretty good, isn't it? Wow! That's pretty cool. The New Catholic, the New Jerusalem Catholic Bible says it this way, Jesus answered, In all truth, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. That's really cool. Right there. Now, what I'm saying is, you can get the gospel out of these other poisoned wells. It's kind of like somebody compared it one time to finding a diamond ring in a, in a rubbish bin. All right? Just because you found a, double, a diamond ring in the rubbish bin doesn't mean that it's a jewelry store. All right? And just because you can find the gospel in these Bibles doesn't mean they're Bibles. 
So you may find some truth. They have to have some truth for it to, to be believed by suckers. But anybody, if you stay in those Bibles, you will grow crooked. You, you will not grow strong because the, the, the well water is poisoned. There is usually, in every language, as you look over there on our table, and I've tried to check out most of them there, uh, there are at least two Bibles in every language. One of them's just like your King James in their language, and then there's ones like the NIV. Make sure if you've got a Bible and it's in Yoruba, uh, in Nigeria, kind of make sure it's got Acts 8.38 or Acts 8.37, and it's got fasting and repentance. It's got those words in there, or else get another one. And there are three reasons why people don't understand the King James Bible. You say, I just don't understand it. Here's three reasons. You ready? Number one, because you're carnal. <laughs> Go to Romans 8. Romans 8. You're lazy. Remember when your dad used to just finally give out to you and says, you're lazy. Your mom would go, no, I know. He's just tired. <laughs> and dad says, he's lazy. He needs to get up and get a job. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 8 in verse 7. It's carnality. Romans 8 and verse 7 says this. Because the carnal mind, carnal means fleshly, worldly you're living by the world instead of by the Spirit of God. The carnal mind, where am I? i got to make sure I just lost it. 8-7. Because the carnal mind is enmity at war against God, for it is not subject, here it is, to the law of God, doesn't want to be, neither indeed can be. As long as you're carnal, as long as you're in the mind to be like the world, you will never want to read your Bible. First reason why most Christians don't like the King James Bible is because you have to study. You have to learn. This Texan never read King's English till he got saved, and I just scratched my head saying, what is a thee? Why are there so many these and thous? I mean, there are some problems. You said, withereth, seeth. I mean, to learn to pronounce that took me months, all right? But you know what? I learned that I needed to adapt, not make the Bible adapt to me. I needed to grow up and get over it. Second reason why most people don't understand the King James Bible is because they're not saved. Go to, well, John 10, 27, you know what it is. My sheep hear my voice. How are you going to hear his voice if you're not listening to the Bible? But go to 1 Corinthians 2, 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. What you are naturally is unsaved. What you are naturally is ungodly. And the Bible says, the natural man receiveth not, doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. I mean, there are people who come to church and they think, Craig is the wackoest guy alive, man. This is foolish waste of my time. I know it. But the Bible says, it's because you're natural. You're lost. You don't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, can understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The rest of us, it says, verse 15, he that is spiritual, we judge. We're critical of all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, because we've already been judged by Jesus Christ. Listen, you can be carnal. That book won't be interesting to you. It'll be too confusing. Not saved. It'll just be like not interested. There's a third reason why. A lot of Christians don't understand the King James Bible because they're too proud. What I mean by that, you don't want to be out of step with the world. 
you may hang around with other Christians your age, and they're all reading the NIV, and you've got a King James Bible. And you go, Ugh. And so the majority influences the majority. Ma the minority don't do that. We're called to be out of, the, out of step with the world. And if, if everybody is doing something, doesn't mean you should. So don't be too proud to just stick with something that's right. So if there's one thing I want you to know, and this is the last of the series on, on how we got the Bible, we've got God's Word in our hand because of inspiration, preservation, and translation. And all over the world, there are people who have a Bible just like the King James Bible. It's hard to read, but it's because our hearts are hard and we just need to study. We have a correct translation. Just make sure it's your Bible, that you make it yours. By way of conclusion, the King James Bible is just fine. Do you know what I found out? I found out that if you're Chinese or if you're Japanese or a lot of other countries, when they want to learn English, guess what English, English they want to learn? Hollywood English, right? No. They don't want to learn Texan. They don't want to learn how to talk like New Yorker. They want to learn King James English because it's the best English. Anybody that's ever studied anything about English literature says the King James Bible is the best English ever in history. And so anybody who ever wants to learn English, they want to ultimately be able to read your King James Bible. Why don't we? That's a strange thing. My Bible doesn't need to be updated. Doesn't need to be able to sound like a 21st century Christian. Would you read a Bible that sounds like, our, like your friends? Do you want a Bible that's effing and blinding all the time? Do you want a Bible that talks like Netflix? I want a Bible that talks like God. Your King James Bible is doing just fine. It just needs to be reread and studied. Just read it. The more you read it, the more you adapt to it. It's just awesome. You watch a couple who's been married. First six weeks is honeymoon. The next six months is tough. Why? Because all of a sudden, everything that's different about them comes out. And they're rubbing against each other, and they learn to get over that. But 60 years later, they are carbon copies of each other. They have adapted to each other. They are the reflection of each other. They can predict each other because they spent time with each other, and they stayed together. And the more you're in the Bible, the more it changes you. Psalm 119, 161, Ezra says this. Um, he says, um, i got to find it. My heart standeth in awe of thy word. The more you're in the Bible, the more you go, wow. <laughs> Memorize it. Your King James Bible is actually laid out and written to make sure it's easier to memorize than any other Bible on the market. I know people memorize the NIV, and fine. More people have memorized your King James Bible. People have been won to Christ by King James Bibles than NIVs have ever been able to do. And then whatever it says do, do it, especially wherever it applies to your soul. Go to Romans chapter 10, and we're done. Romans chapter 10, wow. Here right here, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The good news there. You want to call upon Jesus? He will save you. But how then shall they call on him of whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And that preacher has to have a Bible that is in the language of people. Right there, a Jew named Paul was writing in Greek to win Greeks in Rome, to bring Greek-speaking people in Rome. How shall they hear without a preacher? 
And if that Bible says, verse 9 says, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth, you'd agree with God with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Whatever it says do, you under, you know what's funny? You're in this room here today, and you know what it says. It's not too hard to understand. You just need to do it. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us a Bible. That is the Word of God. It's the Word of God for English people. If we were, I don't know if we were in France, we'd be reading a different Bible. And I want to make sure it's the same quality. And there are some good Bibles down there, God. There's some great churches. Every culture, every language needs the Word of God so they can hear the wonderful words of God. Lord, we don't have too much of a bother. We don't really too much think about the world without the Bible, but there is millions, hundreds of millions, who've never heard one word from the Bible. Their language is maybe so primitive, so hard to get to and to translate to. God, I pray that we would realize there's a reason why you call men and women to go give their lives so that the gospel goes forth even into the most impossible situations. We were the most impossible situations at one point. Thank you that somebody go out and give us the gospel. Thank you it was in English. I didn't have to learn Hebrew or Greek. Lord, now when we read our Bible, I pray we take great joy in knowing you took the time to put it into our language so we could walk with you and talk with you in our own tongue. If there's somebody who's not saved, let them realize this is not about all the people way out there in the world. This is about them. They need to get saved. They need to get born again today and decide, take up their cross and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.